0: Section 23 of 4 and 20 fairy tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. The Story of the Beauty and the Beast by Madame de Villeneuve, translated by James Bloche. Part five the prince whose recovery of his natural form had not lengthened his anxiety to obey her without more ado commenced his narrative in the following words the story of the beast the king my father died before i was born the queen would never have been consoled for his loss if her interest for the child she bore, had not struggled with her sorrow. My birth caused her extreme delight. The sweet task of rearing the fruit of the affection of so dearly beloved a husband was destined to dissipate her affliction. The care of my education and the fear of losing me occupied her entirely. She was assisted in her object by a fairy of her acquaintance, who showed the greatest anxiety to preserve me from all kinds of accidents. The queen felt greatly obliged to her, but she was not pleased when the fairy asked her to place me entirely in her hands. The fairy had not the best of reputations. She was said to be capricious in her favours. People feared more than they loved her, and even had my mother... Being perfectly convinced of the goodness of her nature, she could not have resolved to lose sight of me. By the advice, however, of prudent persons, and for fear of suffering, from the fatal effects of the resentment of this vindictive fairy, she did not flatly refuse her. If voluntarily confined to her care, there was no reason to suppose she would do me any injury." experience had proved that she took pleasure in hurting those only by whom she considered herself offended. The queen admitted this, and was only reluctant to forego the pleasure of gazing on me continually with a mother's eyes, which enabled her to discover charms in me. I owed solely to her partiality. She was still resolute as to the course she should adopt when a powerful neighbour imagined it would be an easy matter for him to seize upon the dominions of an infinite governed by a woman he invaded my kingdom with a formidable army the queen hastily raised one to oppose him and with a courage beyond that of her sex placed herself at the head of her troops and marched to defend our frontiers it was then that being compelled to leave me she could not avoid confiding to the fairy the care of my education i was placed in her hands after she had sworn by all she held most sacred that she would without the least hesitation bring me back to the court as soon as the war was over which my mother calculated would not last more than a year at the utmost. Notwithstanding, however, all the advantages she gained over the enemy, she found it impossible to return to the capital so soon as she expected. To profit by her victory, after having driven the foe out of our dominions, she pursued him in his own. She took the entire provinces, gained battle after battle, and, finally, Reduced the vanquished to sue for a degrading peace, which he obtained only on the hardest conditions. After this glorious success, the queen returned triumphantly and enjoyed in anticipation the pleasure of beholding me once more, but having learned upon her march that her base foe, in violation of the treaty, had surprised and musqueted our graces, and repossessed himself of nearly all the places he had been compelled to see to us, she was obliged to retrace her steps. Honour prevailed over the affection which drew her towards me, and she resolved never to sheathe the sword till she had put it out of her enemy's power to perpetrate more treachery. The time employed in the second expedition was very considerable. She had flattered herself that two or three campaigns would suffice, but she had to contend with an adversary as cunning as he was false. He contrived to excite rebellion in some of our own provinces and to corrupt entire battalions which forced the queen to remain in arms for fifteen years she never thought of sending for me she was always flattering herself that each month would be the last she should be absent and that she was on the point of seeing me again in the meanwhile the fairy in accordance with her promise had paid every attention to my education from the day she had taken me out of my kingdom She had never left me nor ceased to give me proof of the interest she felt in all that concerned my health and amusement i evinced by my respect for her how sensible i was of her kindness i showed her the same deference the same attention that i should have shown to my mother and gratitude inspired me with as much affection for her for some time she appeared satisfied was my behaviour. But one day, without importing to me the motive, she set out on a journey, from which she did not return for some years, and when she did return, struck with the effect of her care of me. She conceived for me an affection, differing from that of a mother she had previously permitted me to call her by that name. But now she forbade me, I obeyed her without inquiring what were her reasons, or suspecting what she was about to exact from me. I saw clearly that she was dissatisfied, but could I imagine why she continually complained of my ingratitude? I was the more surprised at her reproaches, as I did not feel I deserved them. They were always followed or preceded by the tenderest caresses i was not old enough to comprehend her she was compelled to explain herself she did so one day when i evinced some sorrow mingled with impatience respecting the continued absence of the queen she reproached me for this and on my assuring her that my affection for my mother in no wise interfered with that i owed to herself she replied that she was not jealous although she had done so much for me, and had resolved to do still more, but that to enable her to carry out her designs in my favour with greater freedom, it was requisite, she added, that I should marry her, that she did not desire to be loved by me as a mother, but as an admirer, that she had no doubt of my gratitude to her for making this proposal or of the great joy with which I should accept it, and that, consequently, I had only to abandon myself to the delight with which the certainty of becoming the husband of a powerful fairy, who could protect me from all dangers, assure me an existence full of happiness, and cover me with glory, must naturally awaken i was sadly embarrassed by this proposition i knew enough of the world in my own country to be aware that amongst the wedded fortune of the community the happiest were those whose ages and characters assimilated and that many were much to be pitied who marrying under opposite circumstances had found antipathies existing between them which were the source of constant misery the fairy being old and of a haughty disposition i could not flatter myself that my lot would be so agreeable as she predicted i was far from entertaining for her such feelings as one should for the woman with whom we intend to pass our days and besides i was not inclined to enter into any such engagement at so early an age my only desire was to see the queen again, and to singleize myself at the head of her forces. I sighed for liberty. That was the sole bone that would have gratified me, and the only one the fairy would not grant. I had often implored her to allow me to share the perils to which I knew the queen exposed herself for the protection of my interests but my prayers had hitherto been fruitless. Pressed to reply to the astounding declaration she had made to me, I, in some confusion, recalled to her that she had often told me that I had no right to dispose of my hand without the commands of my mother, and in her absence. That is exactly my opinion, she replied i do not wish you to do otherwise i am satisfied that you should refer the matter to the queen i have already informed you beautiful princess that i had been unable to obtain from the fairy permission to seek the queen my mother the desire she now had to receive her sanction which she never doubted she should obtain obliged her to grant even without my asking THAT WHICH SHE HAD ALWAYS DENIED ME, BUT IT WAS ON THE CONDITION, BY NO MEANS AGREEABLE TO ME, THAT SHE SHOULD ACCOMPANY ME. I DID WHAT I COULD TO DISSUADE HER, BUT FOUND IT IMPOSSIBLE, AND WE SET OUT TOGETHER WITH A NUMEROUS ESCORT. WE ARRIVED UPON THE EVE OF A DECISIVE ACTION. THE QUEEN HAD MANEUVERED WITH SUCH SKILL THAT THE NEXT DAY WAS certain to decide the fate of the enemy, who would have no resource if he lost the battle. My presence created great pleasure in the camp, and gave additional courage to our troops, who drew a favorable augury for my arrival. The queen was ready to die with joy, but this first transport of delight was succeeded by the greatest alarm. Whilst I exulted in the hope of acquiring glory, the queen trembled at the danger to which I was about to expose myself. Too generous to endeavour to prevent me, she implored me by all her affection to take as much care of myself as honour would permit, and entreated the fairy not to abandon me on that occasion. Her solicitations were unnecessary the too susceptible fairy was as much alarmed as the queen for she possessed no spell which could protect me from the chances of war however by instantly inspiring me with the art of commanding an army the prudence requisite for so important an office she achieved much the most experienced captains were surprised at me i remained master of the field the victory was complete. I had the happiness of saving the queen's life, and of preventing her from being made prisoner of war. The enemy was pursued with such vigor that he abandoned his camp, lost his baggage, and more than three-fourths of his army, while the loss on our side was inconsiderable. A slight wound which I had received was the only advantage, the foe could boast of but the queen fearing that if the war continued some more serious mischief might befall me in opposition to the desire of the whole army to which my presence had imparted fresh spirit made peace on more advantageous terms than the vanquished had ventured to hope for a short time afterwards we returned to our capital which we entered in Triana. My occupation during the war, and the continual presence of my ancient adorer, had prevented me from informing the queen of what had occurred. She was, therefore, completely taken by surprise, when the fairy told her in so many words that she had determined to marry me immediately. This declaration was made in this very palace, but which was at that time not so superb as it is at present. It had been a country residence of the late king, which a thousand occupations had prevented his embellishing. My mother, who cherished everything that he had loved, had selected it in preference to any other as a place of retirement after the fatigues of the war, at the avowal of the fairy, unable to control her first feelings and unused to the symbol, she exclaimed, Have you reflected, madam, on the absurdity of the arrangement you proposed to me? In truth, it was impossible to conceive one more ridiculous. In addition to the almost decrepit old age of the fairy, she was horribly ugly, nor was this the effect of time. If she had been handsome in her youth, She might have preserved some portion of her beauty by the aid of her art, but naturally hideous her power could only invest her with the appearance of beauty for one day in each year, and that day ended, she returned to her former state. The fairy was surprised at the exclamation of the queen, her self-love concealed from her all that was actually horrible in her person and she calculated that her power sufficiently compensated for the loss of a few charms of her youth. What do you mean? said she to the queen, by an absurd arrangement. Consider that this is imprudent in you to make me remember what I condescended to forget. You ought only to congratulate yourself on possessing a son so amiable that his merit induces me to prefer him to the most powerful genie in all elements and as i have deigned to descend to him accept with respect the honour i am good enough to confer on you and do not give me time to change my mind the queen as proud as the fairy had never conceived that there was a rank on earth higher than the throne she valued little the pretended honour which the fairy offered her having always commanded every one who approached her she by no means desired to have a daughter-in-law to whom she must herself pay homage therefore far from replying to her she remained motionless and contented herself with fixing her eyes upon me i was as much astounded as she was and fixing my eyes on her in the same manner it was easy for the fairy to perceive that our silence expressed sentiments very opposite to the joy with which she would have inspired us what is the meaning of this said she sharply how comes it that mother and son are both silent has this agreeable surprise deprived you of the power of speech or are you blind and rash enough to reject my offer say prince said she to me are you so ungrateful and so imprudent as to despise my kindness do you not consent to give me your hand this moment no madam i assure you replied i quickly although i am sincerely grateful to you for the past favours i cannot agree to discharge my debt to you by such means and." with the queen's permission i decline to part so soon with my liberty name any other mode of acknowledging your favours and i will not consider it impossible but as to that you have proposed excuse me if you please for how insignificant creature interrupted the fairy furiously thou darest to resist me and you foolish queen you see without anger conduct what do i say without anger it is you who authorize it for it is your own insolent looks that have inspired him with the audacity to refuse me the queen already stung by the contemptuous language of the fairy was no longer mistress of herself and accidentally casting her eyes on a looking-glass before which we happened to be standing at the moment the wicked fairy thus provoked her what answer can i make you said she that you ought not to make to yourself deign to contemplate without prejudice the object this class presents to you and let it reply for me the fairy easily comprehended the queen's intuition, It is the beauty, then, of this precious son of yours that renders you so vain, said she to her, and has exposed me to be degrading a refusal. I appear to you unworthy of him. Well, she continued, raising her voice furiously, having taken so much pains to make him charming, it is fit that I should complete my work and that I should give you both a cause as novel as remarkable to make you remember what you owe to me go wretch said she to me boast that thou hast refused me thy heart and thy hand give them to her thou findest more worthy of them than i am so saying my terrible lover struck me a blow on the head it was so heavy that I was dashed to the ground on my face, and felt as though I were crushed by the fall of a mountain. Irritated by this insult, I struggled to rise, but found it impossible. The weight of my body had become so great that I could not lift myself. All that I could do was to sustain myself on my own hands, which had, in an instant, become two horrible poles and the sight of them apprised me of the change i had undergone my form was that in which you found me i cast my eyes for an instant on that fatal glass and could no longer doubt my cruel and sudden transformation my despair rendered me motionless the queen at this dreadful sight was almost out of her mind to put the last seal upon her barbarity the furious fairy said to me in an ironical tone go make a lustrous conquest more worthy of thee than an august fairy and as sense is not acquired when one is so handsome i command thee to appear as stupid as thou art horrible and to remain in this state until a young and beautiful girl shall of her own accord come to seek thee although fully persuaded thou wilt devour her she must also continued the fairy after discovering that her life is not in danger conceive for thee a sufficiently tender affection to induce her to marry thee until thou canst meet with this rare maiden it is my pleasure that thou remain an object of horror to thyself and to all who behold thee as for you too happy mother of so lovely a child she to the queen i warn you that if you acknowledge to anyone that this monster is your son he shall never recover his natural shape neither interest nor ambition nor the charms of his conversation must assist to restore him to it adieu do not be impatient you will not have long to wait such a darling will soon find a remedy for his misfortune. Ah, oh, cruel one! exclaimed the queen. If my refusal has offended you, let your vengeance light on me. Take my life. But do not, I conjure you, destroy your own work. You forget yourself, great princess, replied the fairy in an ironical tone. You demean yourself too much i am not handsome enough for you to condescend to entreat me but i am firm in my resolutions adieu powerful queen adieu beautiful prince it is not fair that i should longer annoy you with my hateful presence i withdraw but i have still charity enough to warn thee addressing herself to me that thou must forget who thou art if thou sufferest thyself to be flattered by vain respects or by pompous titles thou art lost irretrievably and thou art equally lost if thou shouldest dare to avail thyself of the intellect. i leave thee possessed of to shine in conversation with these words she disappeared and left the queen and me in a state which can neither be described nor imagined lamentations are the consolation of the unhappy but our misery was too great to seek relief in them my mother determined to stab herself and i to fling myself in the adjacent canal without communicating our intentions to each other we were on the point of executing these fatal designs when a female of majestic mien and whose manner inspired us with profound respect appeared and bade us remember that it was cowardice to scumble to the greatest misfortunes and that with time and courage there was no evil that could not be remedied the queen however was inconsolable tears streamed from her eyes and not knowing how to inform her subjects that their sovereign was transformed into a horrible monster she abandoned herself to the most fearful despair the fairy, for she was one and the same, whom you have seen here, knowing both her misery and her embarrassment, recalled to her the indispensable obligation she was under to conceal from her people this dreadful adventure, and that in lieu of yielding to despair, it would be better to seek some remedy for the mischief. Is there one to be found? exclaimed the queen which is powerful enough to prevent the fulfilment of a fairy's sentence yes madam replied the fairy there is a remedy for everything i am a fairy as well as she whose fury you have just felt the effects of and my power is equal to hers it is true that i cannot immediately repair the injury she has done you for we are not permitted to act directly in opposition to each other. She who has caused your misfortune is older than I am, and age has amongst us a particular title to respect. But as she could not avoid attaching a condition upon which the spell might be broken, I will assist you to break it. I grant that it will be a difficult task to terminate this enchantment, But... It does not appear to me to be impossible. Let me see what I can do for you by the excursion of all the means in my power. Upon this, she drew a book from under her robe, and after taking a few mysterious steps, she seated herself at a table and read for a considerable time with such intense application that large drops of perspiration stood on her forehead at length She closed the book and meditated profoundly. The expression of her countenance was so serious that for some time we were led to believe that she considered my misfortune irreparable. But recovering from a sort of trance and her features resuming their natural beauty, she informed us that she had discovered a remedy for our disasters. It will be slow, said she, but it will be sure, Keep your secret, let it not transpire, so that anyone can suspect you are concealed beneath this horrible disguise, for in that case you will deprive me of the power of delivering you from it. Your enemy flatters herself, you will divulge it. It is for that reason she did not take from you the power of speech. The queen declared that the condition was an impossible one, as two of her women, had been present at the fatal transformation and had rushed out of the apartment in great terror, which must have excited the curiosity of the guards and the courtiers. She imagined that the whole court was by this time aware of it, and that all the kingdom, and even all the world, would speedily receive the intelligence. But the fairy knew a way to prevent the disclosure of the secret. She made several circles, now solemnly, now rapidly, uttering words of which we could not comprehend the meaning, and finished by raising her hand in the air in the style of one who is pronouncing an imperative order. This gesture added to the words she had uttered was so powerful that every breathing creature in the palace became motionless, and was changed into a statue, there are all still in the same state. They are the figures you behold in various directions, and in the very attitude they had assumed at the instant the fairy's potent spell surprised them. The queen, who at that moment cast her eyes upon the great courtyard, observed this change taking place in a prodigious number of persons. The silence, which suddenly succeeded to the stir of multitude, awoke a feeling of compassion in her heart for the many innocent beings who were deprived of life for my sake. But the fairy comforted her by saying that she would only retain her subjects in that condition as long as their discretion was necessary. It was a precaution she was compelled to take, but she promised she would make up to them for it and that the period they passed in that state would not be added to the years allotted to their existence. "'They will be so much the younger,' said the fairy to the queen. "'So cease to deplore them and leave them here with your son. "'He will be quite safe, "'for I have raised such thick fogs around this castle "'that it will be impossible for anyone to enter it. "'But when we think fit,' i will convey you she continued where your presence is necessary your enemies are plotting against you be careful to proclaim to your people that the fairy who educated your son retains him near her for an important purpose and keeps with her also all the persons who were in attendance on you it was not without shedding a flood of tears that my mother could force herself to leave me the fairy renewed her assurances to her that she would always watch over me, and protested that I had only to wish and to see the accomplishment of my desires. She added that my misfortunes would shortly end, provided neither the queen nor I raise up an obstacle by some act of imprudence. All these promises could not console my mother. She wished to remain with me, and to leave the fairy, or anyone she might consider the most proper person to govern the kingdom. But fairies are imperious, and will be obeyed. My mother, fearing by a refusal to increase my miseries, and deprive me of the aid of this beneficent spirit, consented to all she insisted on. She saw a beautiful car approach. It was drawn by the same white stags that brought her here today. The fairy made the queen mount by her side. She had scarcely time to embrace me. Her affairs demanded her presence elsewhere, and she was warned that a longer sergeant in this place would be prejudicial to me. She was transported with extraordinary velocity to the spot where her army was encamped. They were not surprised to see her arrive with this equipage. Everybody believed her to be accompanied by the old fairy, for the one who was with her kept herself unseen, and departed again immediately to return to this place, which in an instant she embellished with everything that her imagination could suggest and her art supply. This good-natured fairy permitted me also to add whatever I fancied would please me and after having done for me all she could, she left me with exhortations to take courage, and promising to come occasionally and impart to me such hopes as she might entertain of a favorable issue to my adventure. I seemed to be alone in the palace, I was only so to sight. I was served as if I were in the midst of my courtiers, and my occupations were nearly the same as those which were afterwards yours. I read. I went to the play. I cultivated a garden which I had made to amuse me, and found something agreeable in everything I undertook. What I planted arrived at perfection in the same day. It took no more time to produce the bower of roses to which I am indebted for the happiness of beholding you here. My benefactress came very often to see me. Her presence and her promises elevated my distresses. Through her, the queen received news of me, and I news of the queen. One day, I saw the fairy, arrived with joy, sparkling in her eyes. Dear prince, said she to me, the moment of your happiness approaches. She then informed me that he whom you believe to be your father had passed a very uncomfortable night in the forest, she related to me in a few words the adventure which had caused him to undertake the journey without revealing to me your real parentage. She apprised me that the worthy man was compelled to seek an asylum from the misery he had endured during four-and-twenty hours. "'I go,' said she, "'to give orders for his reception.' It must be an agreeable one. He has a charming daughter. I propose that she shall release you. I have examined the conditions which my cruel companion has attached to your disenchantment. It is fortunate that she did not ordain that your deliverer should come hither out of love for you. On the contrary, she insisted that the young maiden should expect no less than death And yet expose herself to it voluntarily i have thought of a scheme to oblige her to take that step it is to make her believe the life of her father is in danger and that she has no other means of saving him i know that in order to spare her father any expense on her account she has asked him only to bring her a rose Whilst her sisters have overwhelmed him with extravagant commissions, he will naturally avail himself of the first favorable opportunity. Hide yourself in this arbor, and seizing him the instant he attempts to gather your roses, threaten him that death would be the punishment of his audacity, unless he give you one of his daughters, or rather unless she sacrifice herself. According to the decree of our enemy, this man has five daughters besides the one I have destined for you. But not one of them is sufficiently magnanimous to purchase the life of their father at the price of their own. Beauty is alone capable of so grand an action. I executed exactly the fairy's commands. You know, lovely princess, was what success? The merchant to save his life, promised what I demanded. I saw him depart without being able to persuade myself that he would return with you. I could not flatter myself that my desire would be fulfilled. What torment did I not suffer during the month he had requested me to allow him? I longed for determination only to be certain of my disappointment. I could not imagine that a young Lovely and amiable girl would have the courage to seek a monster Of whom she believed she was doomed to be the prey Even supposing her to have sufficient fortitude to devote herself She would have to remain with me without repenting the step she had taken And that appeared to me an invincible obstacle Besides, how could she behold me without dying with affright? fright? I passed my miserable existence in these melancholy reflections, and never was I more to be pitied. The month, however, elapsed, and my protectress announced to me your arrival. You remember, no doubt, the pomp with which you were received. Not daring to express my delight in words, I endeavoured to prove it to you by the most magnificent signs of rejoicing. The fairy ceaseless in her attentions to me, prohibited me from making myself known to you. Whatever terror I might inspire you with, or whatever kindness you might show me, I was not permitted to seek to please you, nor to express any love for you, nor to discover to you in any way who I was. I could have recourse, however, to excessive good nature, as fortunately the malignant fairy had forgotten to forbid my giving you proof of that these regulations seemed hard to me but i was compelled to subscribe to them and i resolved to present myself before you only for a few moments every day and to avoid long conversations in which my heart might betray its tenderness you came charming princess and the first sight of you produced upon me a diametrically opposite effect that which my monstrous appearance must have done upon you To see you was instantly to love you. Entering your apartment tremblingly, my joy was excessive. To find that you could behold me was greater in trepidity than I could behold myself. You delighted me infinitely when you declared that you would remain with me. An impulse of self-love, which I retained even under that most horrible of forms, led me to believe that you had not found me so hideous as you anticipated. Your father departed satisfied, but my sorrow increased as I reflected that I was not allowed to win your favor in any way except by indulging the caprices of your taste. Your demeanor, your conversation, as sensible as it was, unpretending, everything in you convinced me that you acted solely on the principles dictated to you by reason and virtue, and that consequently I had nothing to hope for from a fortunate caprice. I was in despair at being forbidden to address you in any other language than that which the fairy had dictated and which she had expressly chosen as coarse and stupid. In vain did I represent to her that it was unnatural to expect you would accept my proposition to marry you Her answer was always, Patience, perseverance, or all is lost. To recompense you for my silly conversation, she assured me she would surround you with all sorts of pleasures, and give me the advantage of seeing you continually, without alarming you, or being compelled to say rude and impertinent things to you. She rendered me invisible, and I had the gratification of seeing you waited on by spirits Who were also invisible or who presented themselves to you in the shapes of various animals more than this the fairy caused you to behold my natural form in your nightly slumbers and in portraits by day and made it speak to you in your dreams as i should have spoken to you myself you obtained a confused idea of my secret and my hopes which she urged you to realize and by the means of a starry mirror I witnessed all your interviews and read in it either all you imagined you uttered or all that you actually thought this position however did not suffice to render me happy i was only so in a dream and my sufferings were real the intense affection with which you had inspired me obliged me to complain of the restraint under which I lived But my state was much more wretched when I perceived that these beautiful scenes had no longer any charms for you. I saw you shed tears which pierced my heart and would have destroyed me. You asked me if I was alone here, and I was on the verge of discarding my feigned stupidity and assuring you by the most passionate vows of the fact they would have been uttered in terms that would have surprised you and caused you to suspect that I was not so coarse a brute as I pretended to be. I was on the point even of declaring myself when the fairy, invisible to you, appeared before me by a threatening gesture which terrified me. She found a way to close my lips. Oh, heavens! By what means did she impose silence upon me she approached you with a poniard in her hand and made signs to me that the first word i uttered would cost you your life i was so frightened that i naturally lapsed into the stupidity she had ordered me to affect my sufferings were not yet at end you expressed a desire to visit your father i gave you permission without hesitation could i have refused you anything but i regarded your departure as my death blow and without the assistance of the fairy i must have sunk under it during your absence that generous being never quitted me she saved me from destroying myself which i should have done in my despair not daring to hope that you would return the time you had passed in this palace rendered my condition more insupportable than it had been previously, because I felt I was the most miserable of all men, without the hope of making it known to you. My most agreeable occupation was to wander through the scenes which you had frequented. But my grief was increased by no longer seeing you there. The evenings and hours when I used to have the pleasure of conversing with you for a moment redoubled my afflictions. And were still more painful to me those two months the longest I had ever known ended at last and you did not return it was then my misery reached its climax, and that the fairy's power was too weak to prevent my sinking under my despair the precautions she took to prevent my attempting my life were useless I had a sure way which looted her power It was to refrain from food. By the potency of her spells she contrived to sustain me for some time, but having exhausted all her secrets, I grew weaker and weaker, and finally I had but a few moments to breathe, when you arrived to snatch me from the tomb. Your precious tears, more efficacious than all the cordials of the disguised genie who attended on me, delayed my soul upon the point of flight. and learning from your lamentations that I was dear to you, I enjoyed perfect felicity, and that felicity was at its height when you accepted me for your husband. Still, I was not permitted to divulge to you my secret, and the beast was compelled to leave you without daring to disclose to you the prince. You know the lethargy into which I fell, and which ended only with the arrival of the fairy and the queen. On awaking, I found myself as you behold me, without being aware of how the change took place. You have witnessed what followed, but you could only imperfectly judge of the pain which the obstinacy of my mother caused me in opposing a marriage so suitable and so glorious for me. I had determined, princess. Rather to be a monster, again, than to abandon the hope of being the husband of so virtuous and charming a maiden. Had the secret of your birth remained forever a mystery to me, love and gratitude would not less have assured me that in possessing you I was the most fortunate of men." The prince thus ended his narration, and Beauty was about to speak when she was prevented by a burst of loud voices and warlike instruments which however did not appear to announce anything alarming the prince and princess looked out of the window as did also the fairy and the queen who returned from their promenade the noise was occasioned by the arrival of a personage who according to all appearances could be no less than a king His escort was obviously a royal one, and there was an air of majesty in his demeanour, which accorded with the state that accompanied him. The fine form of his sovereign, although of a certain age, testified that there had been few who could have equalled him in appearance when in the flower of his youth. He was followed by twelve of his bodyguard and some courtiers in hunting-dresses who appeared as much astonished as their master to find themselves in a castle till now quite unknown to them he was received with the same honours that would have been paid to him in his own dominions and all by invisible beings shouts of joy and flourishes of trumpets were heard but no one was to be seen the fairy immediately on beholding him said to the queen here is the king your brother and the father of beauty he little expects the pleasure of seeing you both here he will be so much the more gratified as you know he believes that his daughter has been long dead he mourns her still as he also does his wife of whom he retains an affectionate remembrance These words increased the impatience of the queen and the young princess to embrace this monarch. They reached the courtyard, just as he dismounted. He saw, but could not recognize them, not doubting, however, that they were advancing to receive him. He was considering how and in what terms he should pay his compliments to them. When Beauty, flinging herself at his feet, embracing his knees and called him father the king raised her and pressed her tenderly in his arms without comprehending why she addressed him by that title he imagined she must be some orphan princess who thought his protection for some oppressor and who made use of the most touching expression in order to obtain her request he was about to assure her that he would do all that lay in his power to assist her when he recognized the queen, his sister, who, embracing him in her turn, presented her son to him. She then informed him of some of the obligations they were under to beauty, and especially of the frightful enchantment that had just been terminated. The king praised the young princess and desired to know her name when the fairy interrupting him asked if it was necessary to name her parents and if he had never known anyone whom she resembled sufficiently to enable him to guess them if i judge only from her features said he gazing upon her earnestly and not being able to restrain a few tears the title she has given to me is adamantly, my due. But notwithstanding that evidence and the emotion which her presence occasions me, I dare not flatter myself that she is the daughter whose loss I have deplored, for I had the most positive proof that she had been devoured by wild beasts. Yet, he continued, still examining her countenance, She resembles perfectly the tender and incomparable wife whom death has deprived me of. Oh, that I could but venture to indulge in the delightful hope of beholding again in her the fruit of a happy union, the bounds of which were too soon broken. You may, my liege, replied the fairy. Beauty is your daughter, Her birth is no longer a secret here. The queen and prince know who she is. I cause you to direct your steps this way on purpose, to inform you. But this is not a fitting place for me to enter into the details of this adventure. Let us enter the palace. After you have rested yourself there a short time, I will relate to you all. You desire to know when you have indulged in the delight which you must feel at finding a daughter so beautiful and so virtuous i will communicate to you another piece of intelligence which will afford you equal gratification End of section twenty three